Mark chapter 8 is where we find ourselves this morning in our verse-by-verse study of the book. And let's begin reading in Mark 8, verse 1. It says, In those days, when there was a great multitude and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for the multitude because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their home, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from a far distance. And his disciples answered Jesus and said, Where will anyone be able to find enough to satisfy these men with bread here in a desolate place? And Jesus was asking them, Well, how many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And Jesus directed the multitude to sit down on the ground, and taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them and started giving them to his disciples to serve them, and they served them to the multitudes. They also had a few small fish, and after he had blessed them, he ordered these to be served as well. And they ate and were satisfied, and they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over of broken pieces. And about 4,000 were there, and then Jesus sent them away. Father, this morning, we just pray that you would continue that sweet work that you're already doing in our hearts of opening our eyes and the eyes of our hearts to the reality of who you are, the reality of your miracle-working power, the reality of your compassion, the reality of your concern for your people, and the training of your servants. Open our hearts to these things. Instruct us through your word. Lord, I submit now my tongue and my mind to you. I ask that you would have sovereignty over them and that every word that falls from these lips would be directly from you. I ask that I might decrease now and you would increase in our midst. Holy Spirit, come and instruct us for godly living and for serving in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys know that the last few weeks as we've been studying Mark, there's been a very clear theme developing, not developing, we really stated it explicitly, and it's this, that Jesus is training the 12 disciples for ministry. We've already mentioned twice in the uh, previous weeks that he's made a change in focus now. He's no longer going around to the villages preaching the good news of the kingdom, but he's now focusing on training the 12 disciples to do the work of the ministry. We do that same thing in the church today. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 says that God has appointed in the, per, in the church apostles, evangelists, prophets, and pastor teachers for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. And so those who serve in that way in the church, myself being a pastor teacher, we're called to equip those in the church to do the work of the ministry. One of the ways that that is done, though it's not the entirety of the equipping, is through the teaching of the word. Very important that we understand as Jesus was uh, seeking to develop the 12 disciples, through these lessons, he's seeking to develop each one of you who are a disciple of his. He's got a plan to use you and a plan to bless you. And so be very aware this morning of the training of the 12 and the lessons that these men needed to learn because we need to learn the same. I want you to notice that Jesus said in verse 2 concerning this group of 4,000 men plus women and children who had assembled. He said, I feel compassion for the multitude. Jesus said, I feel compassion for them. Now, 
this story sounds familiar, the feeding of the 4,000, because in chapter 6, there was a feeding of the 5,000, right? And you might be thinking, whoa, this is weird. Is this the same story? It's not the same story. Different time, different story, same sort of thing going on, repeating itself by the sovereignty of God for a purpose. Now, the last time in chapter 6, there were the 5,000 plus women and children gathered there. And the disciples were the ones who had concern for food for the people. They brought up the fact that they needed to eat, but what the disciples lacked was two things. Take note. The disciples, even though they saw the needs of the people, they lacked compassion and they lacked faith. They lacked compassion and they lacked faith. They said uh, in Mark chapter 6, Verse 35, it says, And when it was already quite late, his disciples came up to him and began saying, This place is desolate and it is already quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. So at the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples noticed something had to happen, but they lacked that compassion. Their answer was, well, Jesus, let's send them away. Let's let them fend for themselves. It's their problem. They've got to go away now. Leave us alone and buy food for themselves. But now in this case, the feeding of the 4,000, Jesus is the one who brings up the issue. And the way that he addresses it is by saying, I have compassion on the people for they have been with me three days now and they haven't had anything to eat. And so it's very clear here that Jesus is wanting to instruct his people with regards to compassion. We've seen that over the last few weeks, haven't we? It comes up over and over again, the compassion of Jesus Christ and the lack thereof in his disciples. Too often a reflection of the church. And so he's wanting to develop in them compassion and his heart for people. But secondly, he wants to develop in them faith. And that started with the feeding of the 5,000. We have the feeding of the 5,000 in Mark chapter 6, and we also have the parallel account of it in John chapter 6. And in John chapter 6, verses 5 through 6, Jesus went up to Philip, and he said to Philip, Philip, what do you think we ought to do about this? There's 5,000 men plus women and children, 10 to 20,000 people here. They're all hungry. Philip, what do you think we ought to do? And it says in John chapter 6, verse 6, This Jesus said to him in order to test him, for he himself knew what he intended to do. Jesus full well knew how he would provide for the people and that he wanted to. But he wanted to engage his disciples in his work. And that is a truth for this church age, which we must hold on to. God is always seeking to engage you in his work. So often we're saying, Lord, do something. And he says back to us, you do something. Lord, move. And he says back to us, you move. Lord, meet this need. And he says to us, you meet the need. And what he's waiting for us to say is, Lord, okay, but but I can't. I don't have enough. And at that moment, ministry happens because God says, great, this is ministry. It's beyond you, but you need to step out in faith, endeavor to do so, and I will empower you from on high. I will supply, even as he said to Philip, Philip, what should we do? And Jesus knew that he himself would multiply the five loaves and the two fish that were there that day. And so at that time, he was wanting to draw the faith out of Philip. 
Realize that God will often, through the word and in your own heart, ask you questions to draw out a response of faith or to reveal or betray a lack of faith in your own heart. You understand? And for Philip, unfortunately, it revealed a lack of faith in his heart. The answer that he had there in John chapter 6 at the feeding of the 5,000 was, Lord, not even 200 denarii worth of money is, is enough to buy food for all these people. 200 days wages, a denarii is a day's wage. 200 days wages wouldn't be enough. In other words, Lord, we don't have enough resources. We don't have enough know-how. We can't pull it off ourselves. But then Andrew came. And Andrew said, well, Lord, there's this kid here and he's got five loaves and two fish. But what are these for so many? Now, Andrew had the right attitude. He brought what he had to the Lord. That's all the Lord is asking us to do. You only have what you have. You can't bring any more to the table. But when you bring it to the table, a lot in the hands of the Lord, uh, I'm sorry, a little in the hands of the Lord becomes a lot, amen? Bring the little that you have to the Lord. Lord, we've just got five loaves and two fish and let the Lord have it. Lord, I've only got this one gift or I've just got this small provision for these people or I just have this small desire to minister to them or just this little bit of compassion. Bring the little that you have, submit it to the hands of Christ and he will make it great. But too often the disciples lacked faith to do so. And so now having experienced the feeding of the 5,000, we see a very interesting interaction here between Jesus and the disciples upon which we might carefully speculate a little bit. It says in verse 4, And his disciples answered Jesus and said, Where will anyone be able to find enough to satisfy these men with bread here in a desolate place? Do you see how maybe they said that sort of slyly? Sort of expectantly? Remembering just a chapter and a half ago, the feeding of the 5,000? That no doubt still being fresh in their mind. They haven't totally forgotten that, though they forgot some of the point of it. We'll read in a minute. But I think that maybe they said it slyly to the Lord. Oh, okay. All right, Lord, I see what you want to do. You want to feed these people. You have compassion for them. But Lord, where will anybody get enough food to feed these people in this desolate place? Remember last time, They said, we can't feed them in this desolate place. Send them away. I think. I can't prove it to you biblically. I'm speculating now, so take it with half a grain of salt. I think that the disciples said it expectantly. Oh, Lord. Oh, who could do this? Oh, Lord, who might do this? Now, that is the answer of faith. That is the answer of faith. Lord, only you can do this. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? He said in Genesis 18, I believe. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? No, the Lord's hand can do anything. Lord, who could possibly pull this off? And then in verse 5, now I want you to notice the interaction. And he was asking them, well, how many loaves do you have? And I'm sure that Andrew went, oh, this is about to get good. Remember when I brought the kid and we only had five loaves and two fish? Oh, Jesus, this time we've got seven loaves. Seven loaves, less people, more bread. Oh, this is going to be a cinch for the Lord. I think that that's the heart of the interaction, though I might be incorrect. I think that they expected what the Lord would do. Doesn't it make sense? It was only a chapter and a half ago that he fed the 5,000. And I think that there is an excitement in their heart. And I think that they have at this point learned a couple lessons. 
One lesson that they were needing to learn was this. That Jesus always sought first to teach the people. It says back in Mark chapter 6, in verse uh, 34. And when Jesus went ashore concerning the feeding of 5,000, he saw a great multitude and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So before Jesus ever fed them, he taught them about the kingdom of God. And so here in our text, these people have been with the Lord three days without food. The whole time, Jesus is teaching. He's instructing. And that is an outflow of the compassion of God, is that he teaches you and I. We often miss this point because we want to see some physical manifestation. Lord, just fix the problem. You see, there's a communication gap there. There's there's a, a, a missing of communication sometimes between God and man. The God is saying, I want to instruct you through the problem and not merely provide the solution. Don't we sometimes when our children come to us and say, Papa, I can't reach that up on that shelf. Haven't we ever instructed them? Well, here's a ladder. Here's how you open it up. Here's how you climb up on it. Or Papa, I can't open up this yogurt. Well, here's the safety tab. You break that first. There comes a change in relationship where we no longer just get it for them. We no longer just open the lid, but we begin to instruct them. And through the problem, there comes more than a solution. There comes a life growth. Amen. There comes a time in your relationship with the Lord where he ceases to say, oh, I'll just fix that problem, sweetheart. And he begins to say, well, let me instruct you through it. And so he's been teaching the people for three days now without any food. Bless you. Don't miss that point when you encounter times in your life of lack. They had a lack of food. There might come some times in your life where where you're in need of something and it doesn't seem to be there. Or there's a situation and you need it to be relieved and you're asking God to do so. Remember in Daniel chapter 10, uh, 9 or 10, when Daniel began to pray, the moment he began to pray, God dispatched an angel to answer his prayers. But he had to persevere through that prayer because there was a spiritual battle taking place and no doubt through that time there were things that God wanted to teach Daniel. You may begin to pray today, God, I've got a need and I must have you meet it. There is no other solution. And I believe that in the heart of God, he says, I want to meet that need, but here comes the instruction. And that is when we must persevere and when we must attune our ears to him. And if we just say, open the yogurt, open the yogurt, open the yogurt, open the yogurt, we miss it. And sometimes the little kid does that. He doesn't want to learn about the safety tab. He doesn't want to learn about reaching the spoons. He just wants the yogurt open and the spoon in hand. That's immaturity. But that's so often what we want as Christians. And God is saying, wait a minute. I want to instruct you now. And he always instructs us through, not always, but a lot of time he instructs us through difficulty. Isn't that what the Bible teaches? The Bible teaches that so clearly that he instructs us through trials. So he's teaching them. And I believe that he wants to, as he's teaching the multitudes, he wants to teach the disciples that when their ministry begins to take place, they are to be able to teach the multitudes as well. God wants to develop in the heart of his disciples then and in you and I a compassion for the people and a desire to instruct the people in the things of God. A compassion for the people and a desire to instruct. Sometimes, for those of us who are immersed in Christianity, we look at the world around us and we can just become frustrated. 
Man, they've got no desire for God. They're living so contrary to the precepts of God. What could we possibly do? And there's just this sort of uh, just blossoming frustration in our hearts where Jesus wants us to have compassion and action. Compassion for them. That God formed each one of them in their mother's womb. Whether they've come to recognize Jesus as the Lord and Savior or not, they were formed by Him. He loves them. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He loves them and He wants us to manifest that love toward them, even those who don't know Him, absolutely, certainly. And then to be able to, listen, Christian, be able to instruct them in the things of God, lovingly. Turn now to 2 Timothy. We'll be right back. But turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. In your Bible, all the T's are together. So if you run across a Thessalonians, Timothy is soon to come. If you hit a Titus, Timothy is just before. All the T's together in the New Testament. 2 Timothy chapter 2. starting in verse 24. It says, And the Lord's bondservant, stop right there, 2 Timothy 2.24, look at me, and the Lord's bondservant. A bondservant is someone who chose to serve a master. In those days, there were slaves and masters, and it might come a time where it was time for that slave to be released, but he had the opportunity to say, you know what? My master is, is kind. And I enjoy him. And I choose to serve him for the rest of my life. And at that time, they would put that servant's earlobe against the door and they would take an awl and they would drive it through their earlobe. And they were marked for life. They were a servant by choice, a bond servant. It says here, the Lord's bond servant. And then it's going to tell us how we must be. Today, if you're a Christian, you must make a choice whether you're going to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ or not. So many Christians, they never come to that choice. By position before God, they are his servants, but they never choose to walk in it. And there comes in that life a lack of abundant life, a lack of blessing, a lack of really walking in what you're created to do. Ephesians 2.10, you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And God will very strongly urge you to be involved in serving him in various ways inside and outside the church. But he will never force your hand. Sometimes I wish he would. I'm so stubborn and I'm so hard-headed. Sometimes I wish he'd just make me do it. He will strongly urge me. But I've got to choose to be a bondservant. I've got to submit myself. Let him mark me as a servant. Now, Here's how the Lord's bondservant has got to be toward the outside world, towards non-Christians. Verse 24 again. And the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. Now I want to read through those again. Very important. You should take note of each one. The Lord's bondservant, you and I, must not be quarrelsome, but kind to all, not quarrelsome, kind to all, able to teach, 
patient when wronged, and with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. Now that's very important because today's world system would say, don't correct people, be politically correct. Be tolerant. The Bible never tells us to do that. The Bible tells us to speak the truth in love and that the truth will set men and women free. But we are to correct those who are in opposition. We're not to turn a blind eye or a blind ear. We're not to ignore it. We are to engage in it. And I understand that that can be frightening, can it? Sometimes it's hard. And God will give you opportunities if you're prayerful. God, I want to be used by you. He'll give you opportunities. Yesterday, I flew up to uh, Napa Valley to do a wedding up there for someone from this church that's uh, moving up there. And I was up there doing the wedding, and we were waiting for the wedding to start, and we were at someone's house where we were going to get dressed and stuff, and I was in the pool. And some guy I had never met there, what? It was Saturday, it was my day off, sort of. I was in the pool, and uh, maybe you're laughing because how I looked in the pool. It was my little sister. She teases me. I was in the pool, Heidi. And I was just enjoying myself, you know, and I was thinking about the wedding and the things that I would say, and I was just praying for the couple. And along came this guy I've never seen in my life and I've never met, and he was also there for the wedding, and he was going to get dressed in the house, and he waited out to me, and he said, oh, are you the minister? And I said, yeah, I'm just as surprised as you are. Hi, nice to meet you. (laughs) And we, we just began a conversation, and Everything that this man believed was diametrically opposed to all that Christianity is, to all that the Bible teaches right down the line, from Jesus being the Son of God to Him being the only unique Savior. uh, Every single point, he was just opposed all the way down the line. And it was just a wonderful opportunity to correct those who are in opposition and gentleness. And we just relaxed in the pool for an hour and a half. That's why I'm a bit sunburned today. I didn't intend on being in there so long. And we just dialogued on these things. We just discussed. But because I've been putting the word of God in me, because I make it my practice to read and study the word of God, at the moment of need, the word of God came out. And for every single ideology that he held, I had a biblical principle to answer it. Hey, glory to God for that. Glory to God for that. All I have ever done in my life is commit to reading the Bible. I never went to Bible college. I never went to seminary, this or that or the other. I just love the Word of God and I read the Word of God and the Holy Spirit is faithful to bring to remembrance the Word of God when we need it. And so I was able to correct him with gentleness at that moment. I'll tell you what. If I wasn't as well equipped, it wouldn't have been so gentle. Because we're like anyone else, aren't we? When we get in a corner, we fight like a dog in a corner. But this was dwelling in my mind. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. And so we didn't argue, we dialogued. Kind to all. Listen, at the end of that day, he said, can I please have your phone number and the address to the church? I would love to come to Carpinteria and visit your church. That was because of the kindness That was because of the kindness that I respected him as a person, but I cared enough to share with him the truth. 
And all the Lord's bondservants must be able to teach. It doesn't mean that we all have to stand up at a pulpit and preach for one hour. That is not the calling of every Christian. But every Christian is called to be able to teach the basic precepts of God when called upon to do so. That you can share the deity of Christ and why he's the only way to salvation and why we need a savior and the righteousness of God and the judgment of God and the grace of God. Every Christian has the wonderful responsibility to share these things. Now, not every Christian in this room right now is ready to do so. We're all in different growth patterns and on different continuums and at different times. But do be growing so that you may do so. You understand? Don't become stagnant. Do grow. Do commit yourself to a study of the Word of God and God will be sure to give you the opportunity to use it. And that's what Jesus was wanting to instruct the disciples on that day and that's what he wanted to instruct us about is he took three days to teach them before he gave them anything. And when Mark chapter 6, when they were the 5,000, it said he had compassion upon the multitude because they were like shepherd without a sheep. And so he taught them before he merely provided for the physical needs. I hate to use this saying, but it, it, uh, it comes to mind. Uh, give a man a fish, feed him for a day. Teach a man a fish, feed him for a lifetime. Simply solve somebody's problem. All right, that's cool. Teach them the precepts of God and reveal to them the love of Christ and affect them for reality. Amen? Amen. Amen. Continuing on in uh, Timothy here, very important. Verse 25, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. Now listen, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil having been held captive by him to do his will. Now that's a tough verse. Those who are contrary to the Lord, who, 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 who don't believe the word of God, The word of God says, those who reject the gospel, that they're being held captive by the devil against their will to do his will. Some of them against their will, but rather to do his will. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world, that is Satan, lowercase g, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the glory of the gospel of God in Christ Jesus. This is a heart-wrenching and terrifying truth that the church has got to lay hold of. We've got to grab onto this and we've got to let it spur us on toward love and good deeds. It's got to spur us on in the area of prayer that there are family members, friends, co-workers, and schoolmates whose mind is currently blinded by the enemy and who, is, who are being held captive by him to do his will. And the way that we destroy that is by the word of God and the word of prayer. The word of God and our words of prayer. Our weapons are not carnal, we're told in the New Testament, but divinely powerful to destroy strongholds that the enemy has in people's lives. When we pray that God would reveal his truth to somebody, God begins to work in that way. When we implant the word of God in them simply by verbalizing it, we're told in the book of Isaiah 55, 11, that his word will not return void. It will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent forth. Romans 1, 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation. 
So we have the power of prayer, we have the effectiveness of the Word of God, and we have the gospel, which is the power of God. And these are the things with which we are entrusted. And Jesus wants us to know this morning, don't just provide for people's needs and instruct them in the good news of Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Go back now to Mark, if you would. Mark chapter 8. Now in verse 6, excuse me, it is revealed to us that the disciples learned a lesson from the last time. It says in verse 6, And he directed the multitude to sit down on the ground, and taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them, and started giving them to his disciples to serve to them. And they began to serve the multitude. Do you remember in the feeding of the 5,000, we talked about the fact that Jesus was wanting to develop a servant's heart in the disciples. And the way that he'll do that in us is he will expose us to the needs, he'll show us that the need is too great, and then he'll call us to a small step of faith right? And so the small step of faith last time in the feeding of the 5,000 was he said to his disciples, you have them sit down in groups. Now that was hard for the disciples because at that point they weren't sure what he was going to do and they didn't really have authority to speak into these people's lives. But Jesus said, here's a small thing I want you to do. This will open a way to the miraculous, but it's a small thing. I need you to do it. Just tell the people to sit down. And we talked about the fact that that would have taken a little bit of faith on their part. Because they would say to this several thousand people gathered, Hey, everybody, you need to sit down now. Everybody sit down. And there's just 12 of them and there's several thousand and they're moving through the crowd. Sit down. Everyone sit down. And people are saying, Why? I don't know. Who are you? Nobody. Can't you just please sit down? Ah, look at this guy trying to get us to sit down. It would take a little bit of faith on their part. I'm sure that when Jesus said that, they said, Gee whiz, Lord, that's no big deal, but it's kind of scary. Why are they going to listen to me? That's kind of hard. There's a lot of them. There's a few of me. Oh, Lord, I don't know. And the Lord would say, just do it, dude. Come on. It's just a small step of faith. But their obedience in that little thing opened the way, opened the floodgates to the miraculous, didn't it? And so in our lives, the Lord will lead us in small steps as we begin to get used by him in ministry wherever you are. It's always the small things. And the only model for growth in ministry given to us in the New Testament is given to us by Jesus in the Gospels where he says, he who is entrusted or he who is faithful with a little will be entrusted with more. That is a model for growing in ministry. When the Lord gives you a little thing, if you're faithful with it, he entrusts you with more. Doesn't that make wonderful sense? And so we've got to be looking for the little things, but here's the praise report. The disciples had learned that little thing. This time the Lord doesn't require them to do so. Last time he said, disciples, you have the multitude sit down. And this time the Lord himself has the multitude sit down. Isn't it clear there that the Lord was instructing the disciples in that? And good job, Peter, James, John, Matthew, and the other boys. They learned that lesson. I'm hoping that you are able to say from the last time that we spoke about this in the feeding of the 5,000, that you've learned some lessons. That as we come back now to the feeding of the 4,000, you're recalling by the Holy Spirit, bringing up by remembrance some things you learned and you're able to say, yeah, I learned that. Yeah, I've begun to walk in that. Maybe it was last week's message. Maybe it was a message from a few months ago. But are you able to say, yeah, there's been some spiritual growth. 
The Lord has brought me through that. I, I, I pray with the entirety of my heart that you are able to. And so Jesus skips this step. He doesn't make them have the disciples sit down. He does it himself because they've already learned that. But I think he did it himself too, maybe for a secondary reason. I'm just thinking that maybe he wanted to keep the disciples from a ministry routine, from a rut, from saying, well, this is the way we do it and we don't do it another way. When Jesus fed the 5,000, he had us tell them to sit down. Don't use somebody else, Lord. Lord, that's my job. Wait, that's for me to do. Last time I got to tell the 5,000 to sit down and now you're, you're going to do it yourself. Oh, Lord, what about me? You see, I, th- I think the Lord wants to keep us from routines and from selfishness in ministry. And I see it all the time in the church that people will go, this is mine. And the Lord goes, no, actually, it's mine and I'm, I'm going to do it now. I love when the Lord does that to me. And when he tries to keep us out of the routine, say, this is not the always the way it's done. The disciples, you don't always have to do it this way. When we show up at church, it doesn't always have to look like this. Outreach doesn't always have to be this. Evangelism doesn't always have to be this. God wants to break the mold. Remember last week when he stuck his fingers in the dude's ear and then he spit on his tongue? I think the Lord is saying, hey man, sometimes I'm not like you. My ways are not your ways. My ways are higher than your ways. And I'm going to go ahead and trip you out. I'm going to stick my fingers in this guy's ears and I'm going to spit on his tongue. And for me, that just expands the model of ministry in the way that we should be expecting God to work in our lives. We shouldn't always be looking for A, B, and C. Maybe God wants to do Z or X or Y. And we ought to be open to how the Lord wants to do it. Verse 8 now. Oh, I'm sorry, before we get to verse 8, realize though that he did once again bless the bread, break the bread, and then give it to the disciples, and they gave it to the others. He did that again, and he did that last time. God always delivers a miraculous through his people. On Friday night at Reality, the College of Ministry, we just had a small time of praying for people to be healed. And uh, I just said, is there someone here that needs to be healed this morning? I believe the Lord wants to heal some people. Come forward. And they came forward and we had the prayer team come and anoint them with oil and we prayed for them. And there were people that were healed that night. People got up later and said, man, the Lord healed me of thus and so and this and that and the other. Now, it was God who did the healing, but through the laying on of hands of his people. We're told in the book of James, is anyone among you sick? Let him come to the elders of the church and they will lay hands upon him, anoint him with oil and they will be healed. You see, God delivers the miraculous through his people. He doesn't have to do it that way, but he so often does because he wants to employ us. 1 Peter 4.10 Each has been given a special gift. Use it, therefore, in the serving of one another as stewards of the grace of God in its various forms. God wants to deliver the miraculous and the practical and the wonderful through you. Verse 8 And they ate and were satisfied... And they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over of the broken pieces and about 4,000 were there and he sent them away and immediately entered the boat with his disciples and came to the district of Dalamanutha or however you say it. So this time they picked up seven baskets of the leftovers. Do you remember last time how many baskets they got? Twelve baskets. Now the lesson that we learned in the feeding of the 5,000 with the twelve baskets was this. Those who come and serve the Lord are blessed abundantly, they go away with more. The multitude showed up and said, we need to be fed, and Jesus fed them, and they were satisfied. 
But the disciples who were willing to engage in the work, they not only ate and were satisfied, but they each went away with their own basket full. They had an abundance. You see, the more you pour out, the more God will pour in. The more you pour out, the more God will pour in. And some of you are saying, God, I want more of you, but why would he give you more if you're not giving out? There's no reason to. You don't need more. You're not giving anything out. You've got all you need. But as you begin to pour out and you need more, God is always faithful to pour in. You want more of Jesus Christ in your life? Begin to pour into the lives of others. Each has been given a special gift. Use it, therefore, in the serving of one another. How do you discover your spiritual gift? Just begin to serve people wherever they are. At home, in the workplace, in church, at school, at the beach, at the softball game, wherever you are, just begin to serve people in any way that is needed. And God will be sure that your gifts either begin to rise to the top or are imparted to you to meet that need. There's no other model for discovering our gifts in the New Testament other than serving. There really isn't. There's nothing else given to us. Well, you take this little quiz or this, that, and so, or you schedule five appointments with Pastor G and then he'll let you know what your gift is. You just begin to meet the needs that God brings before you and they'll rise to the top. And so this time, they go away with not 12 baskets, but seven baskets. Why seven and not 12 this time? Well, last time, uh, it's explicit in the Greek that there are 12 small baskets, and this time it's explicit in the Greek that there are seven large baskets. So it's even a greater quantity, but I believe that in the Bible, seven represents completeness. We see it over and over again. That's not disputed at all, especially in the book of Revelation where we see the completion of this age. Seven comes up over and over again. Seven is a picture of the completeness. Jesus, uh, God rested on the seventh day. And so I believe that the Lord is saying to the disciples, hey, this lesson is complete. You're learning. Here's seven baskets. You're going away with an abundance, but it's complete. Now, here's the tragedy. It was complete from the instruction of the Lord, but it wasn't completed in their hearts. There's a little more that had to take place. Let's read it. This is funny. And the Pharisees came out, verse 11, and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And sighing deeply in his spirit, Jesus said, why does this generation seek for a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign shall be given to it. And leaving them, he again embarked and went away uh, to the other side. The Pharisees come and they're saying, Jesus, we don't believe that you're the Messiah. Show us a sign. All the while in their presence, Jesus has been performing the miraculous. All the while in their presence, they have seen the miraculous, but it has not increased their belief. Why? Because their hearts are hard. The miraculous is, are, I'm sorry, the miraculous is not for the heart of heart. Those whose hearts are hardened, they could see everything and never believe it. I believe it was Voltaire, though I might be mist- mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, who uh, toward the end of his life said, even if God appeared in our village and performed a miracle in the midst of everybody to see, I would not believe it. You see, he had already decided in his heart. He was already hard, or maybe it was that other guy, Nietzsche. One of those dead dudes that didn't believe God. They believe now. They believe now that they're dead. But at that time, even if I were to see the miraculous, I wouldn't believe. So the Pharisees came and they said, show us another sign. The Lord said, you wicked and perverse generation. I'm not going to show you another sign. Now look what happens with the disciples. Verse 14. 
And they had forgotten to take bread and did not have more than one loaf in the boat with them. And he was giving orders to them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now leaven in the New Testament is always a picture of sin. And so he's saying to them, be aware of the sin of the Pharisees and the sin of Herod. Herod was a Roman installed ruler of the region. Beware of their sin. Their sin was that of disbelief. Their sin was that of disbelief. And they taught things that uh, caused disbelief in the heart of people. The Pharisees taught that if we just abide by such and such and so many rules, we'll earn some merit with God. You can't make God love you anymore by doing rules. He loves you perfectly right now. And Herod was a politician, and so he wanted to please men. He wasn't concerned about God. He was concerned about men. Well, if the men like me, then I'll be able to rule well, and everything will be cool, and you know, so on and so forth. And he said, be aware of the sin of those who miss the heart of faith, whose heart is hardened, and they have a lack of unbelief because of legalism and trying to please men. So he's telling this to the disciples very simply. And these poor guys, look what they think. In verse 16, and they begin to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. In other words, because Jesus said leaven, which is an ingredient in bread, at least leavened bread, they begin to say, oh my gosh, he's mad at us because we didn't bring enough bread. We got in the boat and we didn't bring the seven baskets. We've only got this one little piece of bread and now the Lord is mad because we don't have bread and now we're all going to get hungry on the lake. That's what they begin to discuss. We forgot the bread. The Lord must be upset and that's why he's talking about the leaven of the Pharisees. These wonderful men were so dense. Verse 17. Just like you and I. Verse 17. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you discuss the fact that you don't have any bread? Do you not see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets of full pieces did you pick up? And they said to him, "Um, gosh, I guess 12, Lord. Verse 20, and when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of pieces of bread did you pick up? And they said to him, oh, seven. And he was saying, Don't you understand? Don't you get it? Guys, I'm not concerned with bread. I'm not concerned with whether or not we're going to be hungry. I am the bread of life, he said in John chapter 6. I am the bread of life. After he fed the 5,000, he gave a sermon in in, um, Capernaum there in the synagogue where he said, I am the bread of life. Guys, I'm not concerned about how many loaves you have or don't have. I am concerned whether or not you are recognizing who I am. And what I am not looking for is an intellectual assent as to my deity. But I am looking for a heartfelt faith that responds to my leading. How is it that you don't yet see? How is it that you do not understand? He said to them in verse 17. How are you guys missing the point? If we need a more bread, I can make more bread. It's not about that. It's about who I am. And so for me, I think that we need to stop and think about where we are in our lives frequently and say, Lord, what are you trying to teach me about you and your character and how am I to respond? We should be thinking about the things that have happened to us and are happening to us in light of who God is and what his word says. I think we need to engage in that cognizantly. I think we just can't brush it off and sort of haphazardly move through life. I think we've got to daily say, Lord, what what does this mean? 
Lord, what is your purpose in this? Lord, what do you want to do? And I believe that sometimes the Lord might say, hey, dude, you just have a cold. No big deal. It's normal. You live in a fallen world. Other times God might say, okay, I'm so glad you asked. Now that you're in the midst of the storm and I have your attention, there's some things I want to communicate to you. And he's saying to them, how is it you don't see? How is it that you don't understand? And so take stock of your life today and and begin to seek to analyze it according to the word of God. Pour through the word of God. What does God's word have to say for my life situation? That is why God gave you a mind. That is why he gave you a mind. Notice that he didn't make the word of God the movie of God. He could have made a mindless movie. Movies are mindless. We just sit there and tune out and eat popcorn. He could have made the movie of God. He gave us the word of God that we might engage with our minds. Our minds are given by God that we might weigh our lives before him and his righteousness and his plan and his word rather than just sort of haphazardly bouncing around. Amen? You understand what I'm saying? Um, God will seek to get your attention any way that he can. Last week, that man that he healed was uh, deaf and he couldn't speak. And so Jesus stuck his fingers in his ear. I'm going to touch you here. I know you can't hear me speaking. This is where I'm going to touch you. I'm going to deal with this part of your life. And he spit on his tongue. And I'm going to enable your tongue. You see, it seemed weird. But Jesus was doing whatever he could to get the man's attention. This guy can't hear me. He's not hearing me. And he can't speak. So I'm going to touch him where he's going to understand. The Lord is going to touch you where you can understand. If your heart is hard to the things of God, that touch is going to be a little bit painful. It's going to require a storm. It's going to require a trial. If your heart is soft and you're daily engaged in the things of God and in the word of God, it can come so gently and wonderfully. You might just open up the Psalms or Proverbs and there it is. Oh, Lord, thank you. Oh, Lord, I needed to hear that. Thank you, God. I frequently have to learn both ways. Do you not see, do you not understand? Proverbs twenty-eight fourteen. Blessed is a man who fears always, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. And so he asks him again in verse 17, do you have a hardened heart or a dull heart? Here's how we know if we have a dull heart like the disciples. We are slow to respond to the moving of God. They were just slow to catch on to what God is doing. The miracles that God performs are not for the dull of heart. I read this story recently in a military magazine. A guy that comes to our fellowship here, uh, he's been in the military down in Oxnard, and he brought me, uh, not a magazine, a military newspaper. And it recounted this story that happened recently of a military instructor who during the class said, listen, I'm going to prove to you guys that there is no God. I'm going to prove it to you right now. True story. And so he said to, he said to the class, I'm going I'm to prove to you that there is no God. God, if you are real, then knock me off my feet in the next five minutes. God, I'm going to give you five minutes to knock me off my feet if you're real. I'm waiting, God. And he stood there with his eyes closed like this. And he's waiting, and the class is deadly silent. And he's waiting, and he's waiting, and he's waiting. And this uh, big guy, I like to think he was a Marine, gets up out of his chair, and he walks down to the front of the class, and... He cracks the teacher right in the jaw and drops him to the ground. And when the teacher comes through, he says, what are you doing? And the guy says, God was busy. He sent me. The miraculous is not for the heart of hearts. 
and God will do what it takes to get our attention, and He wants to do it through you. Amen? And so, if we find our own hearts getting hard, we need to pray that the eyes of our hearts may be open. Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 1.18 that the eyes of their heart might be opened. And he says to them again in verse 18, having eyes do you not see, having ears do you not hear. And he says in verse 18, do you not remember? Listen, saints, as we begin to worship now, it's very important that you begin to reflect upon the work of God in your life and in our world, that we remember the good things of God because God's track record is our future assurance. You hear what I'm saying? God's track record is our future assurance. And if you begin to remember the things that God has done in your life and in biblical history, you will see that God has always been faithful. And that will bring to your moment and to your circumstances now faith because his past record is your future assurance. Amen? Lord, we pray that you would keep us from not seeing and not understanding, that you would keep us from a hard heart, that you would keep us from where the disciples were, that you did such wonderful things to instruct them, and they so often missed it. Now I pray as we worship, you, Holy Spirit, would come to our individual hearts and speak. Speak to us as your children. Don't you remember when I did this, when I showed you that? Don't you remember when I saved you and that peace that flooded your life? I'm still here. I've never left you. I've never forsaken you. Don't remember when I healed you, when I delivered you from that. I'm going to do it in this situation too. Don't you remember my provision when you were in need and I provided? I'm the same God. I'm the same God yesterday, today, and forever. I'm going to be faithful to you. And don't you remember my word? I'm perfect in all my ways. I've never let anybody down. You're not going to be the first. Minister to our hearts, God, your faithfulness now as we draw near to you. Minister to us.